Welcome to Modern Ancestral Mamas, a podcast for mamas created by mamas. We discuss ancestral food, cooking, feeding our families, and holistic living with the everyday modern mom. We are Corey and Christine, two mamas on a mission to nourish our families holistically while keeping it real in today's crazy world. Follow us on this adventure and enjoy the stories and information we share. Today's episode is sponsored by the Nurtured Foundations online course. The Nurtured Foundations course is a podcast-style course to teach parents how to start solids with their baby. Are you a parent with a child from 0 to 24 months? Well, then this online course is for you. This is a comprehensive course that empowers parents to start solid foods in a confident and safe way and raise adventurous and healthy eaters from the start. We cover topics such as when to start solids, the most nutrient-dense foods to feed your babies, recipes, troubleshooting, how to prevent picky eating, and so much more. If you want information on this course, go to nourishthelittles.com and click on the link Nurtured Foundations online course. You can also find a link to the Nurtured Foundations online course on my Instagram bio. Click on the link and look for Nurtured Foundations online course. Welcome back to Modern Ancestral Mamas. I am Christine from Nourish the Littles, and I'm joined by my co-host, Corey, from For Nutrients Sake. And thank you so much for being here today and listening. So Corey and I have gotten a lot of positive feedback on the mini-series that we're doing. And in case you guys have missed this mini-series, it's called How to Choose the Best XYZ. Dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we've done one on eggs and basically we talked about how to choose the best grocery store eggs. And then we did one on flour. And these episodes are all geared towards grocery store shopping and informing our listeners on how to make the best choices their budget and the product availability allows for. So if you missed any of those previous episodes, we're going to put them in the show notes and go check them out if you have any interest in those particular products. And today's episode, we're going to continue with this theme, and today we're going to discuss bread. I know so many of our listeners are probably very interested in hearing our thoughts on grocery store bread, and also just learning about how to read and interpret grocery store bread ingredients. Yeah, I think bread is, it's such a staple in our food system, and it's so intimidating to make your own. It's actually not that hard, you know, but there is a learning curve and um, and it's intimidating. And honestly, if I were first starting out, like if I didn't know how to cook anything, bread would not be the first thing I would learn. You know, <laughs> like if I'm deciding that I want to feed my family better um, and not use the standard American diet, I would yeah, bread would not be the first thing on my list of things to conquer in my kitchen. Yeah, I agree with that. In fact, I remember reading Nourishing Traditions and being super 
just afraid of the entire grain section and just constantly closing the book when I would get to the grain section and just say, okay, I'm not going to touch this right now. I'm not ready for this portion of it, which is so ironic because like things like the organ meats to me felt so much more doable than the grains. Um, so I think it just goes to show each person's comfort level or, you know, I don't know yeah. what they feel they yeah. can manage. Yeah, totally. So, um, okay. So if you are, uh, you know, suggesting that people or, or helping people, you know, say you're talking to your clients or something and they are coming from a standard American diet and wanting to switch over to a more nourishing real food diet, do you, what do you suggest on the bread front? I do, actually you, do you think they, people should just cut it out? Well, that is a whole nother <laughs> episode. Probably. I, yeah. I mean, I, I personally do have mixed feelings about bread just because I actually don't think it is a super nourishing food unless it's properly prepared. So unless you are, uh, grinding the grains, sorry, milling the grains and then making a sourdough and making bread like that. And even then I think the whole purpose of bread is a vehicle for butter. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, or I something mean, else. Right. Or pate or right. yeah. Yeah, totally. Tartar. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I sometimes, yeah, I, I tend to think that on the spectrum of nutrient density, for my own personal opinion, bread is like lower on the list. Um, but that's, you know, every person is different. So I, I don't know. Okay. How do you feel about that, Corey? Maybe this okay, is our so, question. Yeah. Okay. So I obviously, I don't have clients. I don't have a, um, a, a certification or anything in nutrition like you do. But my suggestion to any of my friends that ever come to me and say, um, you know, what do I do about bread or should we just cut bread out of our lives? And my suggestion to pretty much everybody is if bread is a big part of your life, just find a, a, the best bread you can buy and don't shock your kids with, you know, now we're eating, um, we're not eating bread and we're also eating uh, liver every Monday. And we're also eating, you know, all of this, like, this is one of those things where I think it's a slow, a slow moving process. And I think you have to know your family and know your kids. Um, now if it's an adult, it's a different situation, right? But like a kid, in my opinion, doesn't need to be thrown into this brand new situation of no, we're not eating bread anymore. You can't take a sandwich to class and or to school lunch and you can't have, um, you know, peanut butter and jelly anymore. I just, I think that that's often too much for people. Yeah. Yeah. I agree that for certain families, these transitions need to be done more slowly versus just like uh, cold turkey. Yeah. Actually, cold turkey sandwich is fantastic. So, <laughs> this is true. <laughs> for whatever reason, like this is a side note, but for whatever reason, whenever I got pregnant, and you know, they say modern or like um, conventional doctors always say, like, don't eat cold cuts or deli meat when you're pregnant. And I don't know if it's because they said that or what, but like every time I was pregnant, I always went through this phase where all I wanted was a turkey sandwich. That's so random. Isn't that weird? Like it's not something that I like in, 
I mean, I like it, but it's not like a big part of my life. It's not, it's not even something I would seek out to have on a normal basis. It's just like, yeah. I don't know. Wow. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Wait, what is, oh, I was just going to add in the healing factor. So if anyone is is on a healing diet, specifically gut healing diet, we do know that grains can irritate the gut, especially if someone is dealing with things like leaky gut or a um, microbiome dysfunction or something like that. So there is some validity to, and I mean, there's, I mean, in today's modern world, you can find an argument for anything you believe in and want. I yeah, mean, for sure. I, I can't remember the name of the, uh, the doctor that wrote the book, The Grain Brain, mm-hmm. but it, this is so bad that I can't remember his name, but he has an entire book that basically is vilifying grains and saying that they're creating issues within our brain and stuff like that. So, yeah, but so this episode is for the people who are just curious and in which bread is still a part of their daily life and they want to be able to make the best choices possible for their family. Right. Yeah. I think we're going to come at it from the standpoint of um, bread is kind of like a, a net neutral, maybe. <laughs> yeah. For most yeah, people. Yeah. Yeah. We're not here to shame anyone who is eating it. And yeah. yeah okay, we just want to cool. keep everyone informed. Yep. Um, all right. So you have done a deep dive into the history of grocery store bread, and I'm fascinated. I'm so excited to hear this. This was so much fun, honestly. I sort of got carried away with it. Um, I was like, how are we going to start this episode? Oh, I'm kind of curious about like grocery store bread. When did it start? And I love this. Let's, I'm so excited to hear. Yeah. Okay. Sit tight, guys. For all you history buffs out there, here we go. <laughs> That's me. Um, I'm that person. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look at that. Um, so basically, well, first of all, for those of you that did not know, the word sandwich is uh, credited by this gentleman called John Montague, who was the fourth Earl of Sandwich. And I actually knew this one. You did? Okay. I don't know why. Like, I, this is one of those weird homeschool facts that I remember, you know? (laughs) Yeah, there you go. So that's why we call sandwich sandwiches because of this fourth Earl of Sandwich. (laughs) Um, But anyway, moving on. So apparently commercial sliced bread loaves, they've only been around for about 100 years. So they're still fairly new to our modern food system. I thought that was really interesting. Um, And they began essentially in 1912. So there was this entrepreneur called Rowetter. And basically what he does is he begins experimenting with creating a machine that will slice loaves of bread, package them, and store them for shipping. And so he's coming up with this prototype of this machine. He works on it for about five years and he's getting ready to actually put it onto the market. And then his factory burns down and every single machine burns down, including the blueprints of how he made it. Oh no. Yeah. So then he has to start over from scratch. And so at this point it's around like 1917, 1919-ish, something like that. Okay. So he's starting over again. 
1926, the pop-up toaster is invented. And so the combination of the pop-up toaster being invented along with Roe Wetter's second attempt at the commercial slicing uh, bread machine, the combination of those two was kind of a perfect storm. So consumers at the time were using the pop-up toaster for their own like home-baked loaves. But once commercially sliced loaves become available, then the toaster with commercially sliced loaves was just like, it hit the markets and everyone was going crazy. So in 1928 to 1930, this is when sliced bread begins, uh, is on grocery store shelves. In 1928, it's the first, that's when the first loaves of sliced bread are sold in Missouri by a baker who decided to buy Roe Redder's machine and try it out. It was a huge hit, obviously. And so sliced bread is now on the grocery stores in the 1930s. And I actually thought that this was really interesting if we go back and we think about Weston A. Price. Because if we're thinking about Price, he is traveling the world and he's starting to see dental decays and facial deformities in the 30s and 40s. So all of this it aligns perfectly with when Price is seeing these physical degenerations. So in the oh, early 1900s, yeah, in the early 1900s, flour and sugar are becoming more available, canned foods, all of these processed foods are just now starting to seep into the food uh, scene, essentially. And this is when price is seeing these health decays. Okay. Anyway, so grocery store bread, 1930s, it's on the stores, shelves, and mostly housewives all over America, they begin using it regularly. In fact, For there sure. was a... Yeah, totally. There was because it was so much easier for them. There was a stat that said that I know there was a stat that said that they were each each individual in the family was eating six low slices, six slices a day. So like, whoa, the wife would eat six slices a day. The husband would eat six slices a day. The the kids would eat six slices a day. Well, I guess that makes sense. So then you're having like toast for breakfast, two slices of toast for breakfast. Totally. Then you're having a sandwich at lunch, which is two slices. And then at dinner, you would have, I guess, bread with dinner I instead think so. of rolls or something. Yeah. 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 My great grandparents used to have like, they used to put a plate of bread, just sliced bread on the table. Like oh. when we would go to their house for dinner. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, it was always like Wonder Bread or something. <laughs> it was like this, sli- this like plate of sliced Wonder Bread. Totally. I so I didn't actually include any like Wonder Bread. Um, you, my listeners, I am so sorry. Every once in a while, there will be a squirrel in the backyard, and my dogs will go nuts. So <laughs> if we can hear the dogs barking in the backyard, it's because of the squirrels. But anyway, I didn't inc- include any Wonder Bread stuff, but Wonder Bread was one of the first big brands to start making bread. Okay. Here's where it gets really interesting. In 1943, so around World War II, the FDA bans sliced bread. So during World War II, the FDA bans it. And the why? reason... Yeah, okay, the reason <laughs> behind this, Corey's like, wait, why? Okay, you're an impatient <laughs> student. You need to I know, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay. So the reason why they banned it is because the machines, the bread slicing 
packaging and shipping machines required a lot of steel. So they needed the steel for, oh, for the war effort. War effort. Right. And then here's really interesting uh, fact. They needed wax paper. And in the early days, because there were no preservatives in this bread, consumers were very skeptical of it drying and not being fresh. And so what Roe Wetter figured out was that if you wrapped the loaves in wax paper, then they would stay fresher longer. So the early loaves of bread were wrapped in wax paper. And that's what maintained their freshness. Yeah. And so I guess in the war effort, they needed steel and wax paper. Don't ask me what they were using wax paper for. In the yeah, war. no. Now, now I'm going to Google that one. <laughs> I know, right? But the they funny needed part pantyhose, they needed <laughs> wax paper. <laughs> I know. Like, what are they using? Rubber boots. Totally. But the funny part of this story is after a week of the FDA banning sliced bread, the consumers were. And it like there was an outrage and they started complaining and they wanted, you know, they were really upset about it. And so the sliced bread ban only lasted uh, three months and then they had to reverse it. No, really? Okay. So this is a bit ridiculous. Out of all the things U.S. citizens gave up in World War II, the thing that they couldn't handle was sliced bread? Yes, this is true. They wanted their sliced bread back. Okay. Yeah, so the ban was lifted completely and sliced bread hit the grocery store shelves again. Fascinating. Yeah. Then post-World War II, this is essentially when highly processed foods become fortified. Okay, so up until now, there's been no preservatives in these breads or um, any vitamins and minerals put back into them. So with okay, the rise, wait, so, yeah. so with that, does that mean before and during World War II, they were selling sliced bread. It must have just been that they were s- selling it from local bakers, right? Because there's yeah. they wouldn't have been able to ship it. Yeah, it would it would have been local bakers within local grocery stores. Okay, that just had yeah. this fancy machine. Yeah, something like okay. that. Although, okay, cool. I mean, his machine did ha- supposedly have the capability to get it ready for shipping, I think, to package it for shipping. I don't know what shipping would have looked like at that time. Okay. Okay, cool. So um, so then the post-war era right. comes so along. So post-war era and we're comes. In the de- yeah, mm-hmm. we're, we're, sorry, depression was before the first, the World War. Okay, so we're, so we're post-war. Everybody's got these like little houses, all the GIs are back mm-hmm. and the housewife trend starts again. <laughs> Along with rises of nutritional diseases such as pellagra and beriberi. So during the wars and the Great, Depe- the Great Depression, these were on the rise essentially because people were not feeding themselves properly. They were all nutrient deficient. Um, okay. And because sliced white bread provides no nutritional value, uh, the FDA decided Wait. to... Yeah, well, we talked about why it doesn't have any nutritional value in our flour episode. So if you want to know why, go back to that one. Great point. Yes. Um, so the FDA said, oh, we're going to help mitigate this. We're going to fix this. So what they did was they turned to the flour manufacturers and they had these like secret special meetings called the flour hearings. I did not read what? about the flour hearings. 
But it, I have a feeling that these were probably very similar to the sugar hearings and the tobacco hearings. And this is probably another can of worms that would be fascinating to dive into. But for the purpose of this episode, we won't do it. Okay, so, so n- another mini series in the future, people. Yeah. But essentially, the flower companies began adding back in some of the vitamins and minerals that were stripped during the wheat bleaching process. And I think this is really important and was probably the one of the biggest takeaways from this. It was decided within the flower hearings that they would use the word enriched instead of restore to hide the vitamin stripping process from consumers. So to hide from consumers the fact that every time they make white flour, they're stripping it of all of its vitamins and minerals, and then they have to add it back in, they were going to use the word enriched versus restore. Sneaky little... I'm not going to say that word. <laughs> Sneaky little buggers. <laughs> buggers. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so maybe oh, just boy. let that marinate in your brain for a bit. Um, okay. Then I only, I pretty much only went up to the 1980s because from here on out, we, I think we get a sense for where, uh, where things have transitioned to. But beginning in the 1980s, Essentially, sliced bread begins to fall from people's graces. The consumption of sliced bread uh, begins to shift from the white middle class suburban families to like lower working class families. And this is the very beginning of the food rebellion and the counterculture, which is associated with hippies that were pushing back against a lot of things at this time, but and also especially industrialized processed foods. And I think if we look at it today, we would see that uh, bread is probably, bread sales are probably down. I did not look at that stat. I'm just going to guess that they're probably down just knowing um, where things are shifting food wise. But anyway, there is your fast and quick little bread history. Yeah. And just for the record, this is U.S. bread. This is not anywhere else in the world because we know that other culture, other countries have very different, um, you know, relationships with bread and have different growing practices and different uh, manufacturing laws, even in some places. So, um, yeah, that's so fascinating. Uh, yeah. And, and it is crazy when you start to peel back those layers on the history of, of processed foods and you start going, oh my gosh, like they really did there's been so much sneakiness um, and uh, manipulation, you know, to of the consumers and, and the advertising has been so manipulative and um, just using that, that one term with enriched instead of restore. That's just, yeah, it's sneaky. Yeah, I know. So I can see how I totally... I would think that too. And then I also try to realize that the time that the time of history that all of this is happening is very exciting for humans. You know, we're figuring out that mm, machines yeah. can make things easier. Essentially technology. We're figuring out that technology can quote unquote make things easier for us and make things faster and make things cheaper and So for the first time in our history, we're able to mass produce, ship, um, things like that. And and I think as humans, 
to us, we think that that's a good thing. Um, and to some extent it is obviously there, there are definitely benefits. Um, but as humans, I think we're also very short sighted and we don't look at the whole picture. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and how much of it you're, I mean, you're absolutely right what you're saying and how much of it is also that like, you know, it's impossible to see the future and it's impossible to see, you know, back when they were adding these synthetic vitamins in the first place, it's impossible for them to have the knowledge that a synthetic vitamin is not going to be the same as a um, natural vitamin. You're yeah, right. That's a, that's a really good yeah. perspective to keep in mind. It's not that they were necessarily being evil. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, yeah, totally. Yeah. And I remember like I had this conversation with my grandmother at one point and she was talking about her mom, you know? So my grandmother was a child in world war two and she remembers her grandmother and her mother being really excited about all these processed foods because um, for the first time in, you know, history, there were not domestic servants, right? Even if the, I don't mean servants in that they weren't being paid, but like there wasn't a domestic uh, labor force as much. A housewife was expected to do all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a housewife to be able to feed her family and keep her house clean and manage her children and, you know, keep herself presentable for her husband, like these were all things that were expected of women at that time. And so then, obviously buying a loaf of bread that's already sliced is a lot easier than yeah. than the slow process of making sourdough and then even slicing it is sometimes a, it's it definitely is easier and you know that that term that it's the best thing since sliced bread yes yeah it makes sense cuz it yeah. i mean it is easier to just pull out an already sliced piece i mean okay if even I'm if being it's honest, marginally easier yeah um Oftentimes I will buy bread from a local bakery here in the DFW Metroplex and I always ask them to slice it for me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I it's don't take difficult. It they slice it. <laughs> it's difficult to get it nicely sliced, you know? Yeah. And like a kid can't do it on their own, not without making it all sorts of jagged and wonky and one end is thinner than the other end and Right, especially if if the purpose of it is for sandwiches, for example. Right. Otherwise, you want fairly thin thin slices, or you're just getting mouthfuls of massive bread. (laughs) Yeah, especially if it's crusty bread, and then you're like, can't even chew it. (laughs) I know, I know. Yeah, this there. I mean, like all things in the world, this is just these are all philosophical questions that we have to think about. This idea of convenience versus slowing down and doing things the traditional way. And clearly this is this, um, this, I don't even know if the revolution is the right word, but this shift in paradigm is still going on. I mean, think about it. Like the hippies started it for us, but we're still fighting for that. So it must be kind of this like, existential crisis in humans of 
we because we have this need to create and we can create technology, we keep doing it. And then at the same time, we're like, wait, no, 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 we don't know what we've done. Are we sure this is a good thing? Let's go back to the old ways. Um, it's just, yeah. 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 And there's going to be a, you know, there, there are things that we can't see from our perspective here that, you know, maybe a hundred years down the line, they're going to look back at us and be like, that was the stupidest mistake. Um, like, why did they like, think that was going to be a good idea? Like bleeding or leaching or like leeches? Yeah. In I the mean, like, industry. Uh, right. Exactly. Like, that seems like the dumbest thing or like brain bleeding. Like, are we kidding? Um, but it was a good idea at the time, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Man, Corey and I are getting deep for you on this uh, Sunday morning. <laughs> um, all right. So let's go into what ingredients we can kind of maybe expect to find in a grocery store loaf. Because we're not talking about homemade bread at this point. We we kind of covered that on our flour episode. Um, and we'll do we'll do more of that in the future. But this one is about what you can get at the grocery store. And in general, I think we are kind of trying to stay on if you can get it at like a normal grocery store, um, not necessarily a specialty health food store. Because um, Yeah, I think we're going to cover a few different brands just to sort of give. Right, right. Um, but right. I do think we, we are going to have at least one that we can get at like a Target or a Publix yeah. or giant I don't know grocery stores are yeah yeah, grocery stores are such um uh regionally based things that it is difficult for us to cover what would be available everywhere Mm -hmm. just so we are aware um there are only a few brands you know that are nationally um or a few grocery store not brands companies that are um in pretty much every state and that's really like Target, Walmart, Whole Foods. I don't even know. I think yeah, that's Target, probably Walmart, it. Whole Foods. Yeah. Costco or something like that, or like a Sam's maybe. Oh yeah, yeah. Which Sam's is the same is is a um in Branch line with Walmart. Walmart, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Should we start with I think we should start with Dave's Killer Bread. I feel like so many people know that brand. Okay, wait, let's, you have a question on here about what do you need to make bread? Like what's the bare minimum? Just mm-hmm. so That's we have a baseline bread. to cover. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so baseline, bare minimum ingredients in bread, flour, water, salt. That's it. Okay, that is um, a sourdough bread because the um, flour and water are combined to make a starter, which um, harvests yeast from the air okay um and that is how it raises rise makes the bread rise um so you can also do that with like a kefir because kefir has yeast in it as well um but in general the the only ingredients that are required to make a loaf of bread are flour and water and salt and I, I guess salt could be optional, but who wants unsalted bread? Flour, water, salt. So, but, and then a starter, I guess. 
Yeah, but a starter is just flour and water. Good point. So technically. But a sa- okay, 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 okay. But a sourdough bread will say, if it's packaged at a store, it would say flour, water, salt, starter? Sometimes. I think that there's, I mean, it's not necessary for it to say that, though, because a starter is just flour and water. Mm. Okay. It, it may or may not say that on a package at the store. If you are going to buy sourdough bread at the grocery store, though, and it says yeast on it or vinegar or something like that, that means it is not a true sourdough bread. It is. It, Hold that thought. Don't go okay. into this yet, Corey. We're waiting until okay, the sorry. end of the episode. My bad. <laughs> it's okay. I'm getting ahead of myself. I know. Um, All right. But yes, yeah, so basically, I, I love that that you defined that, though, because I think it's important to hear those three, three ingredients mm-hmm. and realize that when you go to the grocery store and you pick up a loaf of bread and it has a paragraph of ingredients. <laughs> it's like 20. And yeah. half of them you can't pronounce. <laughs> yeah. Just maybe maybe be a teeny bit skeptical. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, um, also okay. because if we go back and we think about the, the history, if you remember, before they had preservatives, consumers were concerned about the freshness of bread. So what did they do? They just wrapped it in wax paper to keep it fresh. This was before preservatives existed. Um, so post World War II, post all of that. And now preservatives in bread are a thing. We're going to talk about that. So let's, let's do this. So I wonder though, if, um, if those consumers, you know, when they were using the wax paper, if they were buying bread every other day or so. I, I imagine they were, especially yeah. with the stats saying how much they were going through it. <laughs> yeah, and, true. <laughs> yeah. And, and just, some of the, what I read talked about how they were still going to bakeries, local bakeries and buying their bread fresh every like three to four days, you know? Yeah. So this is like a much more European way of buying bread. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have a friend who's American, but she's, she lived in the Netherlands for a long time. And she was like the, one of the weirdest things to me was that I had to buy bread so often (laughs) because you know, in the U.S., you can buy a, lo- a loaf of bread and it'll stick, stay fresh on your counter for like a, two weeks or something. Um, but if you're buying bread that's without all those preservatives, it's going to go bad within a couple of days. And those people back before World War II were certainly not putting bread in the refrigerator because they did not have space. If they even had a refrigerator, they did not even have space in their refrigerator, I'm sure, for bread. Yeah, I agree. All right. Yeah. Um. So you, you want to talk about Ga- Dave's Killer Bread? That sounds good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Let's do that. So, but you, you wanted to, well, okay. Well, I'm just going to go into the classic, it's Dave's Killer Bread, 100% whole wheat. That's the name of it, the of the bread. Yeah, it's just literally the most basic bread okay. that you can get. I pulled it up on the Target website, so I know you can get this at Target. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and here are the ingredients. Okay, I'm going to read through it, and then we can talk about them. Organic whole wheat 
In parentheses, it says organic whole wheat flour and organic cracked whole wheat, water, organic cane sugar, organic wheat gluten, and then contains 2% or less of each of the following ingredients. Organic expeller pressed canola oil, yeast, organic molasses, sea salt, organic vinegar, organic cultured wheat flour, and organic acerola cherry powder. And organic sesame flour and enzymes. Okay. All right. So red flag. Uh, Well, for me, the two big red flags are sugar and canola oil. What about you? Uh, Only canola oil because a commercial yeast has to have sugar to eat. Otherwise, it can't raise the bread. Oh. (laughs) So it depends on how much sugar is in. Like it could be, you know, more than is necessary. Um, However, a commercial yeast has to have sugar. That's what it eats. Thank you for that clarification. Clarification, Corey, guys, guys, this is totally Corey's wheelhouse. This is way more than mine. Um, it says four grams of sugar. So yeah, I, I, um, I mean, how many teaspoons? But that's like in a serving, right? Or is that in the whole bread? Oh, Corey, this is where I really don't know this part. I've oh, <laughs> let me Google it. Okay, well, if I, it's up high in the, it's up high in the um, list of ingredients, though, wasn't it's it? Number three. Okay, so it's probably more than is necessary to um, give rise to the to the bread to feed the yeast to give rise to the bread. However, um, the fact that it is cane sugar is less of an issue to me than, um, you know, if it were a, uh, corn syrup or, um, agave or something like that. Got but it. it also then has molasses too, right? Yes. Also. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, it's definitely probably not a necessary amount of sugar, but, um, but again, it's that would not be as big an issue to me as the um, what was it, canola? The canola oil. Yeah. And yep. we, I also want to highlight that all of the majority of all, of, yeah, all of the ingredients are organic. But really, the most important here is the flour. So the flour is organic. And what that means is the flour has not been sprayed with glyphosate to dry it out or to... The wheat. The wheat has not been. Sorry. Right. I I didn't mean... Yeah. Thank you. No, you're right. The wheat has not been sprayed before it was turned into flour. And again, like we said on our other episode, it doesn't wash off. So this is not something that's going to be like they could wash the wheat and wash off the glyphosate. It doesn't come off. So... organic is definitely the way to go for wheat right and they i'm going to just say this real fast they spray wheat right before they harvest it so it's not even like it's you know out in the sun for a month or so after they have sprayed it no it's like literally right before they harvest it to dry it out before they harvest it and then they turn it into flour yeah so So in in the flour episode we essentially said if 
you are purchasing any flour products, and so bread would be included in this, and you have the budget and the product availability to purchase an organic organic loaf of bread, then that is the recommended option. So I would say number one, organic if you can. This way you are reducing your exposure to glyphosate. Right. Okay. So, um, yeah, in that, that would be those, the, the, the only biggest red flag to me is the, is the oil. Okay. Good to know. And for the record. I do think, you know, the sugar is not great, but it doesn't bother me as much. I didn't, I did not know that the yeast needed the sugar. That was part, that was like a necessary ingredient. So, um, yeah, something somewhat beneficial about this loaf of bread is it doesn't have any preservatives in it. I mean, sugar is a form of preservative, obviously, so that definitely helps, but um, doesn't have any synthetic preservatives in it. In comparison to, let's say, okay, a brand called Nature's Own. I feel Mm -hmm. like a lot of us have seen this. You'll see this at Grass gas stations too. Like this is a fairly... Yeah, this is a really normal yeah, brand to- of bread. Totally normal brand of bread. Uh, the ingredients are whole wheat flour, water, yeast, brown sugar, wheat gluten, and then again contains 2% or less of the following salt, monoglycerides, enzymes, ascorbic acid, soybean oil, vinegar, cultured wheat flour, monocalcium phosphate, and soy lecithin. Oof. And it's interesting because you can tell, um, where does it say? No. Okay. Um, yeah. So this is this just your standard loaf of bread. It looks like it's what? $2. Yeah. It's $2 for 20 ounces. Um, I, I mean, right off the bat, The reason why I would avoid it is because it's not organic. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That would be my, my number one reason why. In addition to the other ingredients in it, I'm not a fan of the soybean oil or the monoglycerides or monocalcium phosphate or the soy lecithin. Yeah. Um, Okay. I would, I mean, I would agree with you. I think what's really interesting here and that we should, we should touch on is that when, um, in the United States, whole wheat bread is more popular to the consumer, um, than a white bread. So in our discussion, we're not even really going to cover white bread because it's just not as a common of a bread for the American consumer. Um, but what's really interesting to me is that, um, the um, manufacturing, you know, businesses have realized that people like the term whole wheat because of our uh, culture being told that whole grains are healthier. That's what's um, propaganda. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and um, because of that, they're making bread technically, you know, I'm using finger quotes here, whole wheat. But it's not necessarily totally made with whole wheat. So even if you go look up a recipe for a whole wheat bread on the internet, you know, for a homemade version, 
you're still going to almost, almost always find a recipe that is um, like third of the flour used is an actual whole wheat. The rest of it is a um, all-purpose or a or a refined bread flour. So the fact that these are called whole wheat does not necessarily even mean that they were made with 100% whole wheat. Very interesting. Okay. Yeah. Learn something every day. Um, all right. The next bread brand that I was going to pull up is one that I think is a pretty popular one as well. It's called Heartland Bread Co. Yeah, I don't know this one. So you Isn't said that, that it's funny? available where you have lived. I mean, yeah, maybe it's just popular where I've lived. <laughs> I mean, you've lived in very different places, though. So it just may be that. I'm, yeah, I'm trying to think if I ever saw it in Chicago or New York. Um, I don't remember. This could be a Southern thing then, which, I mean, technically you're the South as well. But um, so Heartland Bread Co. And I'm looking at the honey whole wheat bread. And this one, the price on this one is just a little bit more expensive. So it's $7.50 for a loaf. Um, and the ingredients are organic stone ground wheat, water, honey, sugar, salt, and yeast. Okay. Yeah, so this is a... I mean, that's not terrible. No, it's a pretty simple, very simple loaf. Yeah. Um, they advertise that their grains are milled on site. So that is a huge benefit because as we covered in the previous episodes, as soon as a grain is milled, it is then, it can then over time. It starts time, losing nutrients. It starts losing nutrients. It starts going rancid. It's exposed to light, heat, oxygen, all of the things that mm -hmm. can create uh, rancidity. Um, yeah. So this yeah. is, this is a better option that's, if you happen to find that's it. That's a good, sounds like a good option. Um, I know I have seen um, other brands of bread and usually, usually you can find better brands of or better loaves of bread in frozen sections of grocery stores because, um, well, I think that's probably multiple reasons, but because if you're using, if you're not using um, preservatives, the bread, like we said already, is not going to stay fresh on the, sh on, the, on the shelf or on your counter. So in the frozen section, obviously, it stays sh sh fresher longer. Um, and then also because my guess is, this is just, I, I, you know, I'm guessing. It's not based on any facts. Um, but I'm guessing that there are less people buying it. And so, therefore, they can, they don't give as much or the store doesn't buy as much to sell. And then also, it ha they have to keep it fresher longer because not as many people are buying it and blah, blah, blah. So um, I, I will sometimes buy, um, when I lived in Maryland, I found this brand um, that 
I would sometimes buy in the frozen section, and it is called uh, Berlin Natural Bakery. And I know Sally Fallon has talked about this brand too, that this is the one that she suggested her daughter use for her grandson when her grandson was having issues um, with taking homemade bread to <laughs> to oh, class. Yeah. Yep, he like, yep. didn't want to be the weird kid with the homemade bread. So um, Sally told her daughter, or maybe it was her daughter-in-law, whatever, to buy this bread that is looks like normal bread, but it's a sourdough sandwich loaf and it's in the grocery store or in the frozen section in the grocery store. I have only seen it in stores in Maryland. So I'm not sure where if if like if I went to a Whole Foods down here, um, they may have one. The closest Whole Foods is like an hour and a half away. So I don't know. I haven't been to it. Um, and then the other one that we I wanted to talk about is Ezekiel bread because Ezekiel bread is a really common bread for the for the crunchy mom circle, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I will buy it sometimes, and part of the issue is that Ezekiel bread um, has soy in it. Okay, soybean. Yeah. Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and I mean. I know I I know we have both talked about this on the show. We both avoid soy, you know, pretty much as much as possible. Um I am fairly certain that Ezekiel bread soy is sprouted. So, um for the couple of times a year that I am buying bread, I'm not concerned about the soy that is in this bread, mm-hmm. if that makes sense, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but again, this is in the frozen section. So, and I I don't know if we've talked about this on here before, but I when we go to um, on family trips to Universal, and mm-hmm. we're staying in the hotel room without any cooking, you know, anything to cook with, I will buy the Dave's Killer Bread and make sandwiches for my family with that mm-hmm. because. I don't have any, I don't have, um, you know, like I could make bread to bring, but then I have to bring a cutting board and I have to bring a knife and it's not going to last very long because it's fresh bread and I don't have any way of toasting it. And, you know, like all of these things where it just makes more sense for me to just buy the bread that's going to be more shelf stable. Um, yeah. Yeah. And feed that to my family rather than feeding them the theme park food. You know, that's one of those lesser of two evils situations to me. 100%. I mean, yeah, we'll, anytime we are in a situation like that where a sandwich is just an easier food option, then yes, I am, again, most likely going to be purchasing a grocery store bread or ordering from organic bread of heaven, which we haven't mentioned yet, uh, and making sandwich sandwiches from there. Um, yeah. But again, even with organic bread of heaven, like they would, it wouldn't last. It doesn't, you have to keep that in the freezer or in the fridge. You can't really keep it on the counter. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Not for very long. Yeah. Um, well, since we mentioned organic bread of heaven, (laughs) I um, do love them. 
I know. So anyone who is not, doesn't have the capacity to be making their own bread, organic bread of heaven is a fabulous option. Their ingredients are superb. They bake everything fresh twice a week. So depending on what day of the week you're ordering, you are always getting a fresh loaf. And they have tons of options, not just bread. They have things like tortillas. and Tortillas are my favorite. Yeah, they do have really good tortillas. They have bagels. They have like, uh, oh, hot dog buns, burger buns. Um, Trying to think what else. Little like cakes and muffins. And I mean... It's, they're a really, really great company. And if you are going to order something, I think it makes more sense to spend over, I think it's $59 because you get free shipping. So yeah. you might as well just place yeah, a big order. Yeah, and you can order. freeze it. Exactly. Yeah. Place a right. big order, freeze what you're not going to use right away and just kind of like work your way through it. Um, love, love this company. I wish I had known about them when I lived in Chicago because they are actually right outside of Chicago. And I had no idea, um, the whole time I lived there, but I would love to go see their factory. Yeah. That would be, that a would be fun cool field trip one day. Yeah. Um, okay. I do think it would be cool to talk about, uh, yeast for a minute because yeah. yeah, we let's do that. discovered some interesting things about yeast. So like we said earlier, um, Yeast, commercial yeast has to have a sugar to eat. So what happens is the yeast is an alive food. It's their little microorganisms that, I mean, you can see them obviously, but, um, you know, each, if you pick up a handful of yeast and there's those little, they're not pellets, but they're just like little bits. Um, those are all organisms, little organisms. And those, um, eat the sugar. So you, you, you wake them up, putting them in like warm water and some sugar, honey, some sort of sweetener, and they eat that. And then um, I think it's when they die, they let they have the um, uh, the gases are what rises bread, right? Um, yeah. so that's how you get you know, your bread is, is rising. Um, now a sourdough is capturing yeast from the air. So it is capturing whatever is available, which is why sourdough is going to be different wherever you are in the country or in the world, because there are different, um, yeasts in the air floating around everywhere. Um, a commercial yeast, however, is a single form of yeast a single strain yeah, of yeast strain. yeah and you looked up what it's called do you still have that no probably oh, not it was saccharomyces um i lost it <laughs> okay doesn't matter it was um something uh so the the interesting thing to me this happens with bread and with winemaking and beer making and the alcohol, because um, they they all use yeast. They, um, it's it's a single organ or it's it's a um, yeah it's a single organism. So it's a single strain of yeast. It's not wild yeast, which can just be whatever. Um, it's single strain of yeast, which means that it it 
is consistent, which is what commercial food makers want. You know, they want every single time I do this, it's going to turn out exactly the same. Um, so it's, which is why making sourdough is kind of a, it's an artisan process, you know, because you're not always going to have exactly the same, uh, Mm -hmm. conditions and yeah, going into it. It's not always, even if you use exactly the same measurements, it's not always exactly the same. (laughs) Um, so that's one of, yeah. One of the things that it says about commercial yeast is that the flavor and the results have considerably less depth. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it is consistently the same every single time. And so this is why in mass production facilities, they're using commercial yeast. Because yeah. just like Corey already said, we need the same result every single time. Mm-hmm. And, and I also believe this has something to do with like FDA regulations, I'm sure, and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't know, actually. Um, but I do think it's interesting that you you mentioned the flavor. I, for the most part, like commercial bread tastes like cardboard to me because I've gotten to the point mm-hmm. of I love sourdough bread. And even, you know, I'll make almost every bread product that I make is sourdough. So um, it's got you know, the depth of flavor from being completely whole wheat. It's got this depth of flavor from using a sea salt, you know, because there's more flavor in a sea salt than there is in table salt. It's got more depth of flavor because I'm probably using honey or molasses or maple syrup or coconut sugar, which all those sugars have more flavor than a uh, um, white sugar, you know. And it's just all of these different complexities of flavor, including then the starter and the uh, different levels of sour or not sour that you can achieve with making sourdough bread. Um, it's just, it's a completely different food. And, and I think it tastes better, but. <laughs> I agree. I do like to be able to have that sourness in my bread products. I don't mind it. Mm -hmm. And thankfully my family has, they're totally okay with it as well. There's been no complaints about, about that. I want to say they've pretty much, it's for the most part, all that they know because I do very rarely get grocery store bread. There have been a couple times where I've made sourdough that has been too sour. Like my starter was unhappy and the bread was like almost inedible. But, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, but you know, it's okay. That was a, wasn't that process. Um, Oh, I was just going to say another reason why grocery store bread has yeast is because it is a faster process in general. So again, we're talking about industrialized food production. They're trying to feed the masses as quickly and as cheaply as possible. And so the way to achieve that is through commercial yeast. Yeah. Yeah, right. So uh, a bread that is being risen with commercial yeast can be cooked from like start to finish can take three hours, you know, while a wild ferment, a wild fermented sourdough is at least, at least six usually more like 24 to 72 hours 
of a process. So that's a ridiculous difference, especially when you're trying to um, pump out bread and, and increase your prof- profit margins. Yeah, completely. And Corey and I, just for fun, wanted to look up, well, what did they use before the 1900s? Because yeast was actually introduced around um, the early 1900s. Okay, and the answer is sourdough. Exactly. Right. Yes, of course. <laughs> sourdough. And and specifically, uh, some, it was, you know, uh, we found that some pioneers would capture wild yeast through using potato or cornmeal. And then they would add a little bit of milk and a little bit of sugar to it. And then what do you know? It would start to ferment and they would have a starter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Like human invention is just fascinating, isn't it? Like, I know, right? Like to think that like, the first – and that's not even – we didn't even go all the way to the you know, beginning of time because what is the first sourdough? Is it in um, Eastern Europe? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, no, it couldn't have been. It was or like, was it, it had to have been Egypt. Yeah, it was the Egyptians. Sorry. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a long time ago. It's a really long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and, and bread ancient, has been such. Yes, ancient Egypt, approximately 3000 BC, and then it gradually spread to Europe, mostly Greece. Holy cow, that's Roman such Empire. a long time ago. Yeah. That's so um, cool. Yeah. And to think like, I always, you know, as, as a, a Christian, it is so apparent to me how often um, bread is talked about in the Bible in terms of being sustained, you know, mm-hmm. like Jesus himself is called the bread of life. Right. Like this is not, when I was, when, when we were, when my family was doing paleo, like when we were, trying to exist on paleo without grains whenever i would read that in the bible i'd be like oh well but you know grain is so bad for you and it took me a long time to kind of go well how is it that you know god has created this this food source and it has been a part of human diets for such a long time mm-hmm. and he even calls himself the bread of life that cannot be a accident. It's not like I, it doesn't fit into my worldview for that to be an accident or for that, you know, oh, well, they were wrong back then. They didn't understand the science of bread. You know, that just doesn't fit into my worldview. Um, and so to me, like part of my coming to make sourdough bread and to incorporate grains back into our diet was coming to the realization that it is not bread necessarily that is a bad thing or wheat necessarily that is a bad thing. In fact, it can be a really wonderful addition to a diet. It's just that we have to treat it with respect and treat it in the way that it should be treated. Yeah. Mini religious rant over. Sorry. No, I I had actually never thought about it that way, but you're right. Um, and per usual, as I mean, we are, we live in a sinful world. <laughs> Humans right. like to mess things up. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we don't like, we just, it's, it's in our nature. So, yeah. Um, I want to touch on greenwashing 
uh, Ooh, on, good idea. Yeah. on the back of bread products. I mean, this is like we said earlier with the whole wheat thing too, you know, where whole wheat is not necessarily always whole wheat. Yeah. Um, Okay. What do you want to say about greenwashing? Well, that oftentimes packages will say sourdough bread and then Mm. you flip it around in the ingredients (laughs) and it says yeast on there or like Corey said, what what was the other vinegar or something like that. Um, So then, you know, actually this is not a fully sourdough bread. Uh, Yeah. Am I missing anything? Yeah. No, I mean, you can add yeast to a sourdough bread. Um, but it speeds up the process. So sometimes in my home kitchen, if my sourdough starter is not as strong as I would like it to be, I will add a tiny pinch of yeast and that will help it to ferment the bread and kind of kickstart it. However, that is probably not what these commercial kitchens are doing. Um, Probably they are using... um, a sourdough starter and maybe a vinegar or a malt or something like that to achieve that more depth, depth, deepness. What am I trying to say? Deepness of flavor? Is that a word? No. That's not a word, right? No, I think depth is good. <laughs> okay. The depth of flavor. <laughs> um, if they, so to try and achieve that more um, depth of flavor, they're going to be adding, um, vinegar or a sourdough starter and then just using the yeast to rise the bread okay so got it and that's not necessarily like i said it's not necessarily a bad thing to add yeast to sourdough bread but in a commercial context it's almost always not gonna be a true sourdough it's not gonna be a long fermented because the, the thing with a long fermented grain is that it is pre-digesting or a long fermented sourdough loaf it's pre-digesting the grain right so it's making all of those things in the grain um all of the nutrients in the grain more available for your body and more digestible and easier on your system that is why we love sourdough yeah 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 yeah. um i'm trying to think i was just going to ask about Mm, I forgot. (laughs) I, well, okay. So I did want to just talk about if where depending on where you live and doing some research on your own city or town, if there are any local bakeries that make bread fresh either daily or weekly or something like that, because we, we didn't say this at the beginning, but Okay, so sometimes I do use organic bread of heaven, but nine times out of 10, if I need bread for anything, I okay, I'm not baking bread regularly. It's not my forte. Uh, like Corey is a great sourdough baker. That's, that's, I still have not even mastered, what's the word for the, the loaf? There's like a fancy A bool. A bool, yes. I still have not mastered a bool. I can do your, I can actually do hamburger buns really well. I can do bagels. I can do... What else? Um, uh, English muffins. I can do maybe just like your basic 
like sandwich bread loaf of bread, <laughs> but I can't do a bowl. I haven't done that yet. Anyway, so if I want a bowl, I purchase it from my local bakery that I know they use organic grains, it's milled fresh, and they actually ferment it for 48 hours and they'll slice it for me. Um, <laughs> so I don't have to bother with that. Uh, so that's my personal preference. And I think if anyone else has that option within wherever they live, it's it's great to support our local economies and to purchase the food that comes from where we are living. So like I know that these grains were grown in Texas. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, not far from where we live, actually. Um, I th- I know of some local places where I live. I think this is one of those where we tell people to reach out to their local um, Weston A. Price chapter leader because they probably know where you can buy sourdough bread. Um, there might be some local bakeries. I know one of the local bakeries here that makes sourdough only makes it once a week because it's such a long process. Um, and they only make it on, I think it's Tuesdays or something. And then they just sell whatever they have. And when they're out, it's out. Um, the other thing I was going to say though, is a lot of, um, kind of artisan things like kombucha and sourdough bread, stuff like that can a lot of times be bought from like local moms, you know, like my cousin, I know she lives in Virginia and she has started making sourdough and she just sells it to whoever wants to buy it from her. Um, so I, I guess that would depend on what your, your state's, um, food cottage food laws are, but, um, yeah, like look on your, on Facebook or something and see if there are any local moms that are making, not, 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 sorry, I shouldn't say only moms, but you know what I mean? Like local people that are not necessarily full bakers, um, or don't have a, a commercial kitchen that they're baking out of, they may be doing it on the small scale just out of their home and um, be willing to sell you some bread. Yeah, totally. And they're- a lot of times, if that's the case, like you have a lot more pull with them. You can say like, hey, I would really like to buy this from you. I'm willing to pay you, you know, t- I don't know how much sourdough bread can be expensive. I will say that you could say, you know, I'm willing to pay you $10 a loaf if you use this particular um, flour and this salt or whatever, you know, like you can be really specific about this is what I want the ingredients to be. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. When I lived in Chicago, there was a mom in the community in the Waldorf community that was baking. She was German. So she was baking German rye bread. Oh, it man. was delicious. And yeah, she I would bake that. it fresh every week. And it was kind of like a little side hustle for her. Right. Uh, and these, I mean, don't, these loaves were not cheap. It was $10 a loaf, but mm-hmm. it was delicious. And she used organic ingredients and it was German, traditional German rye bread. It was cool. Oh my gosh. That's like so, my favorite kind of bread. Yeah. I love like a good dark German rye Mm, yeah, so yeah, good. yeah. I've actually been trying to find someone here in the DFW area doing it, and I haven't had any luck. I I found someone or a bakery, but apparently they closed down a few years ago. So, oh bummer. The search continues. Um. Okay. I think we might have covered everything that we wanted to say about bread. But we are 
open to more questions from you guys or comments if you want to learn more about this subject. I know that we got some requests to discuss milling. Yeah. So that might be a topic in the future for how to choose. <laughs> yeah, I am not sure that fits in this in this just I don't know. We'll yeah. see. It'll fit somewhere. We'll make it work. Totally. Um, but actually, okay, so if we're finished with bread, I just want to say, because we haven't said this in a while, guys, we love our listeners and it helps our show grow and the viewers get more viewers when you guys rate and review the show. It's so, so, so important. It on your social media. Oh, like, yeah, Just yeah. take a screenshot and be like, hey, I'm listening to this episode about bread. It's really interesting. Who knew that the fourth Earl of Sandwich is why we call sandwiches sandwiches? Right. Totally. Also, yeah. I really want to know who the current Earl of Sandwich is. <laughs> Does anybody know? We can probably go to Google for that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we just wanted to really encourage our listeners to rate us however many stars you think we are worth. And you can give us a good comment or you can give us a bad comment. It doesn't matter. We're open to feedback and we want to hear from you guys. And we also love DMs. So any Corey and I get DMs all the time. And when we get them, we're just giddy with excitement. It's so cool and fun for us to hear from our listeners. And the current Earl of Sandwich is John Montague, the 11th Earl. Look at so. that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Wikipedia. <laughs> I love that. And that's the note we are ending on. You're there ready. we go. Random fact for the day. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. Happy sandwich making, friends. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Modern Ancestral Mamas. Check out the show notes for the resources. You can find Christine on Instagram at Nourish the Littles and online at nourishthelittles.com. You can find Corey on Instagram at fornutrientsake and online at fornutrientsake.com. Follow us on Instagram at Modern Ancestral Mamas. The information contained in this show is for informational purposes only. It should not be intended as medical advice and should not replace your relationship with your healthcare practitioner.